back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And I have been super sick. So guess what I didn't do? I didn't read anything. And I didn't summarize anything. And I didn't do any work at all. And take it away, Amy. Yeah, so Chantel does not have the COVIDs, but you can still send her your thoughts and prayers. I am going to be leading this podcast today, which is like a big surprise. I know I'm not used to doing this. Welcome to Fear. Do you remember Fear Factor? Anyways. <laughs> so today, to alienate our American listeners and everybody else, I figure like most of you are American, some of you are maybe Canadian, and like the rest of the world has like three of them. I haven't seen the demographics. You haven't seen the demographics, but you're very close. We have so many people from all around the world who listen to us, but mostly America. Good stuff, maybe. I don't know. Anyways, so in the hopes of alienating everybody who's not Canadian... We're going to be talking about Canadian literature. Well, no. Canadian plays. A Canadian play. One Canadian play. But also it's going to alienate the Canadians because it's very niche. Oh man, we're getting to that part. So without further ado, I am going to start this off with saying if you have any COVID anxiety, I love and appreciate you and I strongly recommend you not listen to this episode because we're going to be talking about the Spanish... Plague! Flu. Well, plague. the influenza of 1918. Plague. We're getting to the plague. So yeah, if you have any like anxieties about that or like you're like, I listen to this podcast to escape. Well, um, go listen back to Frankenstein, you know, revisit the old ages. Oh my God. Don't listen to that episode. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about a play called Unity 1918 by Kevin Kerr. Kevin Kerr is a Canadian playwright and this is a Canadian play. Is it a Canadian play? Amy? <laughs> So Unity 1918 was developed as part of Touchstone Theatre's Playwright-in-Residence program during the 1999-2000 season. So this is a pre-9-11 play. Is that significant? My partner said it was important for some reason. I don't know. All of those airports that they had in 1918 <laughs> are going to be really affected at security. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, so it was created, put on in BC. Great stuff. Rad. It is the epitome of why plays should be watched and not read. Yes. Fortunately, there's no online production. So at Kevin Kerr, maybe it's Kier, I'm sorry. At K-Dog. Um, <laughs> if you want to put this in podcast form, let me know. I have some thoughts. So the reason why I say that this is something that should really be like put on instead of read is because it has notes in it about punctuation and overlapping dialogue. So when you read it, there's like these slashes and there's stars and ellipses and it's because somebody else is speaking. So like you're reading it and it doesn't read sequentially. Okay. So it's a little funky. So my dream is to see this put on. I have yet to see it put on. It's the only play from this semester's plays that I have not seen put on. So in the the play, in the forward and stuff, there is a note on the events. And I will read parts of it just because I think we need some context about the events that were happening. Yeah. So in the fall of 1918, an influenza pandemic swept the planet. Yes, this is relevant to today. Largely forgotten now at the time that this play was written. No longer forgotten now at the time that this podcast is being recorded. It was the deadliest outbreak of an infectious virus in recorded disease. Thus far. Not anymore, really. So... They're uncertain about how many people died, 
Same thing with the COVIDs. Although I think our estimate now is what, 15 million? Is it that high? Oh my God. Yeah, it's um, it's a lot. So anyways, it's unsure how many people died of the um, 1918 influenza pandemic, but they're estimating between 20 to 50 million people worldwide. The flu reached every corner of the globe because of the movement of the troops at the end of the First World War. Because like the flu happened at the end of the war and like during all of the like celebrations for the end of the war. Those are called super spreader events now. It was the pre-Coachella. Pre-Coachella. So what's weird about the influenza strain that went around in 1918 is that it mostly affected healthy people of like 20 to 40 years old. Okay. So like people that normally would be able to survive the flu were just like dying. In Canada, where per capita war casualties were particularly severe, more people died in four weeks of the flu than in four years of fighting. Oh my god. Put that in perspective. If you didn't lose your sons to the war, you lost them to the flu. And then you lost everybody else. That's wild because everyone remembers how many people died in the war and how horrific it was. But until 2020, I did not hear about the Spanish flu like almost ever. Yeah. I had heard of it like maybe once in reference to the war. My grandfather's adoptive family like his mom's brothers sisters and parents all died in the flu wow she was like one of the only survivors i think like she had one other brother so like i grew up knowing about it and like reading this play was like kind of informational for me like i was like oh wow like this is something that happened everywhere it's not just my family kind of thing and now here we are so unity is a town in saskatchewan shout out to saskatchewan don't listen to our uh my Antonia episode. Oh God. This is our redemption arc for Saskatchewan. <laughs> okay. Saskatchewan. <laughs> so although the story is based on certain specific events of the periods, the characters and actions are fictitious. So the play opens with like a couple characters and a thing you need to know here is that there's three sisters. One is named Beatrice, the other one is named Mary, and the other one's named Sissy. Mary's the eldest, Beatrice is the middle child, Sissy's a kid. She's like 16. It's a kid. Well, we're not going into that. I don't know. Should the Little Mermaid have gotten married? Who's to say? <laughs> no, but this this time period was weird because teenagers didn't exist. You were a child or you were an adult. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm buying it. Um, So just a point here. Um, Mary loves Richard. Beatrice is enamored with this guy named Glenn. No relation to other Glenn. Um, this Glenn doesn't eat hot dishes. Well, I mean, <laughs> Saskatchewan is the Minnesota of Canada. Beside the point. So it opens on October 15th, 1918, which is like about a month before the war ends. Um, in the prologue, we talk about women's rights and women's pleasures. And the main big event of the prologue is that the undertaker, Mr. Thorson, um, dies and his niece, Suna, takes over. Whoa, who's gonna bury the undertaker if he dies? His, his, his niece. His 15-year-old niece. Oh, good. Yeah. That seems appropriate. So first things first, we have act one. So it's split into two acts and a prologue, which is fair. Okay. So this is a time when like you had to like call a switchboard to call people. So we have Doris and Rose who take care of the telephone lines and the telegraph lines. They're the people who have the unfortunate job of telling people that their sons died in the war. Oh, I was going to make a joke where they were like, one moment, please. I'm moving wires around in a board that has holes in it to move the voices around because it is... <laughs> The tens. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, so they're, they're gossips um, and they learn about Stan. So Stan is a guy who lives in the village in Unity um, and his wife died in childbirth. So, you know, they're the ones who like hear about it first and they're gossips and they tell everybody about it. And they really ship Stan and Suna because while they're both alone, it's a small town. Make it happen, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, they receive a telegraph of somebody dying of pneumonia. So they have to like tell his family that he died of pneumonia. Sissy 
is the kind of person who is gullible, and she's what today we would call a conspiracy theorist. Yay! Yeah, so you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of parallels here. So Sissy learns about conspiracy theories from like a pamphlet about the end of the world. <laughs> I kid you not. Okay. So this pamphlet basically is outlining that it's the end of the world because. The world can only be going on for 6,000 years. There was a certain amount of years before Jesus was born. Subtract that from 6,000, 1918, end of the world. The climate's terrible. There's a war. And now there's a plague. That sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. Again, if you have any COVID anxieties, please leave. (laughs) Or war anxieties or climate anxieties. If you're not okay with the world right now, cease and desist from this podcast for this episode. If it's the end of the world as you know it and you don't feel fine, maybe take a break. Yeah, maybe take a break. So during this time, like a lot of people were, you know, trying to help with the war and Beatrice likes to knit socks. This is important for later. It makes her feel better. So she's like, oh, does it make you feel better to feel like you're doing something about this war, even though like the world's falling apart? <laughs> and Beatrice was like, yeah, it takes my mind off of things because things suck, which I mean, relatable. We all need a hobby. We all need a hobby. That's why everyone took up podcasting during COVID. Yeah. So, you know, they have this chat about crochet, whatever. Then they get a phone call through the party line. Let me tell you about party lines, kids. So party lines were like a phone line for like an entire road, for example. And every family would have a different ring but you could still pick up the phone for the other family and hear their hot gossip and this is a phenomenon that happens in this place it's kind of like you know how boomers will have personal private conversations on each other's facebook walls but everyone else can read it and they don't really know everyone else can read it because they think they're private messaging each other. Right. It's like that. But if you were talking on the phone and all your neighbors can listen in. Yeah, basically. Okay. So through the various party lines, they learn that there's a train coming in and there's a soldier coming in. So Mary is like, oh, Richard's here. And Beatrice is like, oh, Glennon here. And Sissy's like, oh, boys. If that makes you understand who they are as people. So they prepare wheat bouquets. (laughs) Wheat because it's Saskatchewan. And it's harvest season. Oh, my God. That's the most Saskatchewan thing ever. (laughs) Right? And they go to the train station and they see this guy come off the train and he falls flat on his face. What? I present to you Hart, the blind soldier who comes to Unity searching for his dad, who's the undertaker, and is dead. No! It gets worse. He brings us news that everyone in Halifax has had the flu and, you know, he's here to see his dad. Everybody's like, oh, we're not going to tell him that his dad's dead because he's blind. And, Why? You know, we don't know how to do things. What are they going to do? Are they going to be like, hi, yes, son, <laughs> it's me, your father. Well, Remember that time when we played catch in the yard? No, that's the thing. He's like never met his dad. What the heck? Do they pretend to be his dad? No, they don't. But Stan... The guy whose wife died in childbirth is carrying his wife in a wheelbarrow to the undertaker. And he drops his wife. No. And Hart, who doesn't have any eyes anymore, goes, I think you dropped something. Oh, no. That would be such a good visual gag if you weren't reading it. It's very funny. Even when you're reading it, it's pretty funny. Um, so anyways, so they, they bring Stan, his wife, the blind guy Hart, and the three girls. They all go to the undertaker's house to see Suna because like, what else are they going to do, right? So now we cut back to Doris and, and Rose, our people. And at this point, like, we know that there's a flu pandemic, right? So Doris and Rose go over the people's questions because they're basically like 511 or 411 or whatever, you know, like they're the people who take care of like answering people's questions and stuff because you need to call them to get to stuff. So like, they're also kind of like telehealth right now, like, which is like a line you call about your symptoms when you're sick in Ontario, other province. 
performances had them too. So they go over like the fines you can get for breaking quarantine, how you should report your neighbors if they're breaking quarantine, um, reporting if you've had the flu to the authorities. Wow, so all the things that people would not be doing right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rad. How to wear a mask? Why to wear a mask? It's funny because the text here is telling us that they're not currently wearing masks. And as they start getting more reports and more reports, they throw each other masks to put on. Do they put them on? Yeah, they put them on. So like, they're like, oh, okay. no, we don't, I'm not wearing a mask because I'm just with like Doris and I'm not sick. And then they start getting like more and more news and they like put on masks. I do bet it's fun to project on stage wearing a mask. Well, you know what? I bet during right now it would be pretty fucking safe, wouldn't it? It would. But like picture how difficult it is to hear like the grocery clerk <laughs> when you're wearing a mask who's standing literally right next to you. And then picture you're at the back of a balcony of a theater. Well, that's why they have the like the little microphones now. Yeah, well, they do now. They also would have in 2000. No, no. They weren't invented in 2000. <laughs> Britney Spears had no little microphones. Britney Spears was uh, just projecting like yeah. a soap opera star yeah. who are also not mics. So Beatrice goes to see Hart after, you know, they bring him to the mortuary people, the blind soldier. Um, and she learns that his entire family's dead. Um, they either died of the flu or in the Halifax explosion. No, not the Halifax explosion too. So they've got the war, the flu, and the Halifax explosion. If you don't know much about Canadian history, the Halifax explosion was when one boat was coming into the harbor and then another boat was like, I have the right of way and just drove like right into it. But the other boat that was coming in had a bunch of bombs. So it blew up all of Halifax. Yeah. So Hart has no family. Like his dad's dead. His mom's dead. His brother's dead. Everybody's dead. They talk about the war and Hart really like explains the horrors of the war. Like he mm. talks about how, you know, his feet were always wet and... I uh, hate wet socks. Yeah, trench foot. He needs Beatrice in there knitting him new socks. Well, they talk about that actually. She asks like, did you get any socks? And he's like, no, I got like one pair and when that was like threadbare, I could maybe get another one. But would it get to me? I don't know. Aww. So they talk about that. She talks about how, like, she's read a bunch of, you know, great stories in the newspaper. And he's like, yeah, they're all bullshit. Ooh. Like, there's no, like, heroic guy with, like, a super good gun. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that Hart has seen that he's trying to explain to Beatrice, being like, it's not all rainbows and sunshines. Would you say that he's calling out fake news? He's calling out fake news and he's calling out muscular Christianity. Oh, wow. Jesus with abs. Bringing it right back to the wars episode. Yeah. Um. So that's not funny. <laughs> that's not funny. She says laughing. <laughs> so we learned that Mary's Richard uh, dies from the flu Um. and Mary is in hysterics and she goes to Doris and Rose and she's like, I really, I need to see his last letter. Like there's this letter i need to see it and they're like yeah yeah that's fine we just need to kill the germs we just need to bake it for a little bit <gasps> they set it on fire so they set a timer for it and just as the timer goes off the letter burns and they try to take no. it out and by the time they take it out it's just ashes no yeah it's a funny play but it's also very very sad that's heartbreaking it gets worse <laughs> so did i talk about michael yet i have not so michael is a friend of the family he's also sissy's boyfriend michael is like the like he goes everywhere he does all the farming stuff around town he's like a 
a good guy and he's not old enough to go for fighting yet. His family's from out of town, but he's just around because he needed a job kind of thing, you know? He needed to feel useful because everybody else was at the war. Mm -hmm. So the town quarantines itself out of fear of illness. So trains aren't allowed to stop. Mail is quarantined. There's no Halloween. Halloween is canceled. Halloween being canceled is also a familiar thing to yeah. us. No weddings, no funerals, no gathering. No social gatherings? No social gatherings. So Michael and Sissy have like this walk and they talk about Halloween. They're like, oh, I really wanted Halloween. I really wanted to have a big bonfire. And on Halloween, they hide in a bush and they want to scare people and they kiss in the bush. That's a germ spreader event. That's a germ spreader event. It's not social distancing. It's not very social distance of them. I call this the kiss of death and you'll see why. Oh no. So that's the end of act one, essentially. Act two opens with them talking about how Michael is sick. Oh no. See, that's why he's social distance, kids. They say it's because he's an outsider, which is very like, not bueno. It's like xenophobic, but for towns. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of xenophobia during the First World War, but we're not going to go into it right now because I don't feel like it. We'll go into it in another episode, maybe. Oh, yeah, there's so many. Um, <laughs> so many books I read about this topic, guys. So they want to send him back to his town. So they put him on the train outside of town. They're like, hey, walk a mile out of town, get on the train, go home. What the hell? You're going to go send him to infect his own town? Because they they don't want to take care of him and he doesn't have any family, so nobody can take care of him. Oh. Um, so they ship him out. Do they not have hospitals? They have a doctor who does they have one doctor yeah he died he died yeah yeah doctor amazing of course okay um so they sent him home and then they get noticed that um all his family died all seven of them oh my god they uh they went to the house to like warn them that he was coming and whatever to take care of him and the chimney hadn't been lit in a couple days and they all found them dead so michael stays on the train because he can't get off of the train because Unity won't let him off the train. Does he live on the train now? He's living on the train. So they see him passing east to west and east to west. And then one time he's no longer on the train. And a mile out of town, they kick his body off the train because he died. Wait, but that means no one else can ride the train while he's on the train. Well, there's multiple cars. Okay. Yeah. But no one else can ride that car. Correct. Did he like starve to death because no one was feeding him? No, that part's not explained or anything. Okay. Um, it's, it's very much like he died of the flu. Okay. So they, um, they chuck him off the train. We cut to Doris and Rose. Doris collapses at her telephone. So we have like two scenes back to back of just like illness. So there's uh, there's conspiracies going on that the, um, the Germans are creating this virus with the germs, germs, germin. Um, and they created this bioweapon. Wow, that sounds so familiar as a conspiracy theory. Yeah. So they have um they have like a makeshift funeral for Richard. Um they don't have any body for him, so they just put up like a cross. And uh Suna goes up to Beatrice after the funeral and she's like, like, who are you mourning? And she's like, Oh, there's no body. And she's like, So you're having a funeral for nobody? <laughs> she's a bit disillusioned at this point because she's like, I'm digging graves all the time and I'm the only one doing it. So that's fun. Who's Richard again? Richard is Mary's boyfriend. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. And Mary is the middle sister. Mary's the eldest sister. Mary's the eldest sister, yes. not the one who makes socks correct that's beatrice okay it's very confusing I, just, I think i just assumed that the one who made socks was the eldest sister no because it's just an eldest sister thing to do she's like the middle child okay yeah. well that's a weird middle child activity middle children never wear socks <laughs> and that's a fact yeah 
So Stan's baby dies. Whose baby? Stan, the guy who lost his wife. Who's Stan? Who's, who's Stan? So Stan is the one who lost his wife in childbirth at the beginning of the play who dropped his wife from the wheelbarrow. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Their neighbor. Their neighbor with the wheelbarrow wife. Yes. Okay. So his baby dies. Sad. Sad. Weird scene coming up. As his baby's being buried, he kisses Suna on her mask. Why? I don't. That's not very social distance of him. It's not. Also, that's sexual harassment. Well, it wasn't like not welcomed, I think. Like they'd been flirting the entire okay entire time. Okay. Like, for example, my next note here is Stan and Suna get married. Oh, okay. Beatrice becomes a nurse. The sock sister. The sock sister becomes a nurse. I'm very good at this. You are. Beatrice takes care of Hart's eyes, which is very very traumatizing and graphic. I thought he was blind. What'd she have to do with his eyes? The wounds. Oh, okay. His eyes were burned by mustard gas. Oh, yikes. Okay. Yeah. Sissy has a funeral for uh, Michael, train boy. Yes. Her boyfriend. Her boyfriend. She burns his body in a hay pile. That doesn't seem very uh, kosher. No, it makes a lot of people angry. And then they talk about it ad nauseum. And then the war ends and they all hug. Okay. And then they remember that there's still a plague going on and they separate and put on their masks. Oh no, oh no. Super spreader events. Would we say a super spreader event? <laughs> we would. So there's like celebrations to celebrate the wars done. Mary gets sick. Mary's the eldest sister. Okay. Glenn comes home. Glenn is the middle sister's love interest. The one who doesn't eat hot dishes. Correct. <laughs> Glenn shows up, shows Beatrice a sock, which happens to be a sock that she knit, and he thanks her because it protects the most important thing to him, which is a photo of his wife. Oh. So Beatrice and Glenn do not get married. Wait, I thought they were dating. <laughs> no, she just liked him. She liked him. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's awkward. Yeah. Sissy gets sick post-dancing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mary dies. Okay. Mary gets dressed in a white wedding dress and she's buried with the wheat chaff in between her hands. For why? Because she was supposed to marry Richard. With wheat? With a wheat bouquet? With a wheat bouquet. All right. It's a, it's a sketch one. It's a callback to the first part of the play. I guess. Yeah. Sketch one. I feel like this is just BC making fun of Saskatchewan. <laughs> No. Stan dies. Wheelbarrow man. So they're all dead. His whole family is dead. Yes. His wife died. His child died. And then he also died. His second wife is not dead. His second wife, the gravedigger. Correct. Okay. So she has to bury her own husband. Yes. Unfortunate. She dies her wedding dress black. Oh, no. So after... In the interlude of all of this, we have, we have a joke, which I'm not legally allowed to tell you in full for copyright reasons. But I'm going to tell you part of it because this is my favorite joke. Yeah. Basically, all you need to know is that Hart is, you know, hammering the lid on a coffin. He has like this flashback to his time in Halifax, right? And he has this uh, this old neighbor who dies and they're going to bring him up to the, the cemetery, right? Makes sense. Good stuff. Yeah, makes sense. It's like a big steep hill, a big steep straight hill. So they bring him all the way up. And as they're getting to the cemetery, the carriage breaks off from the horses that were pulling the the coffin up yeah so obviously gravity takes effect and we have this coffin on this carriage just flying down the hill right right at the bottom of this hill there's a bunch of shops so this coffin and this carriage they go straight down into the shops and the shop that's in line with the street happens to be an apothecary the coffin goes straight down the street into the apothecary breaks through the window gets to the counter and the guy in the coffin sits up and he goes hey apothecary can you give me something to stop this little coffin <laughs> It's better in the play. It is better in the play, but I have 
something to say about this. Go for it. Okay, so dear listeners, do you remember when we did our The Wars episode that you definitely listened to because you're a faithful every episoder and Amy got very upset with me because I had her copy of The Wars. Well, I have moved, but my mother express mailed Amy her copy of The Wars and she also express mailed her something else that was in the same pile of items that I had saved to give to Amy. This one I was going to do something with, but when Amy opened it up, it was just a box in the shape of a coffin. And I got a text that was like a picture of the coffin box and the words, is this a threat? (laughs) Now I was going to paint the box and I was going to put in the box the words, do you have something to stop this coffin? But instead, it was just a box in the shape of a coffin. It's a little coffin. It was a little coffin. It was a little coffin. So that's fun. At the end of that joke, heart bursts into a coughing fit because it's too funny. <laughs> so Asuna visits the three sisters who are now two sisters because one of them died. Yeah. And Sissy thinks that she's like the angel of death because she's dressed in her black wedding dress that she's dyed herself. She has a scythe and she's like, is this your scythe? Saskatchewan. What the hell? Who shows up to a party like that? It's not a party. She's just visiting. Yeah, but every visiting is a party when you're social distancing from people. <laughs> True. And like Sissy's like traumatized here, right? She's like, oh my god she's here for me she's here for me so she gives she pulls out a wooden dildo what yeah earlier i mentioned that like the prologue talks about women's rights and women's pleasures what they talk about dildos so she produces a dildo and she tells beatrice hit her with this what (sighs) what is this play it's a mess but i love it um suna goes over basically to tell Beatrice like you're the nurse in town and Beatrice is like no there's a doctor and she's like the doctor's dead the doctor's dead the doctor's gone (laughs) (laughs) and she's like can you take care of Hart he's sick I can't take care of him he has no one please help him blah 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 she's like there's too many dead what the fuck do you want me to do right and Beatrice is like fine whatever I'll go help Hart so she goes to see Hart and they talk about how he believes that he lost his vision after an interaction with a sex worker in which he believes that he saw the light Okay, I that's not where I was expecting that to go because you can lose your eyesight from syphilis. Um, but it's not. But it went somewhere else. Yeah. So that's that's always exciting like, when it goes somewhere else. The next day he got mustard gas. So he's like telling Beatrice about all of this. You know, he's like, basically he's like, I kissed her. I saw the light. I guess I saw the light. And he was her. blinded by the light. Blinded by the light. He saw through the other side, like through her genitalia. He saw into the other realm. It's a weird, Why it's a weird passage. Was he seeing through her genitalia? Well, because she was a sex worker. What is is the position of this? I'm going to read it to you. Maybe that'll make more sense. I'm just like staring off into the distance. Okay, so Hart believes that he loses his eyesight because he went to go see a sex worker. He says, and there her clothes fell away. And then I I looked down and got on my knees. And I guess it was there that I lost my sight. She goes, there. And Hart goes, there. The last I ever saw. And she goes, you went blind looking at her dot, dot, dot. (laughs) You don't think perhaps it was the gas attack? He's like, no. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, so this is a different situation. So he was just looking at it. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, but the, the f- too good. The f- too good. So yeah. So she's she's giving him like a help because he's sick and whatever. And all part of this was part of this whole speech that he had about like seeing himself for the first time. 
So there's this whole thing about where he's like, you know, I saw myself and then I saw through the other side through this vagina. <laughs> and he asks her like, have you ever seen yourself? And she was like, uh, no, you're being weird. And he's like, do you want to? And she was like, yeah, sure. And they kiss. Thank God. That's where that was going. That could have gone so many other places. Yeah. And then there's this whole scene of Suna and Beatrice meeting at a crossroad and then we learn that Beatrice is dead. Is she a ghost? Well, it was like her like passing through the other side kind of scene. Whereas, in fact, Suna is the angel of death, I guess. Is Suna actually the angel of death? That wasn't a metaphor where she was carrying the scythe and like, this I mean, is your scythe. That was her trying to play off. She was actually no, the like, angel it of is, death. It is a metaphor, but it's it's like played on in this scene to demonstrate okay. that Beatrice is actually dead. It's artistic. Art. Art. Examples of things you can't do in film. So it's November 28th. So we started on October 15th. It's now November 28th. And Sissy reads like the final entry in Beatrice's diary. And so one of the like last parts of the play goes, it's from the diary of, of Beatrice. She goes, I kissed a boy a few days back. I still feel him on my lips. He was very, very, and the entry stops. Sissy closes the book and just goes, lucky. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then there's a song about Canada's birth during the First World War and whatever. Wait, but she had plague in her house. So did she kill him? Kill Hart or? Yeah. He killed her. He was already sick. He killed her. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Another kiss of death, probably. Or like she got it from her sisters, you know, bad times. So yeah, that's fun. Is it fun? It's fun the word we're going to use. Fun is the word we're going to use. So there's a lot to say about this play. A lot to say about how like Canada's birth came also with a lot of death. There's a lot of parallels to be made here between the influenza and the COVIDs. We have the conspiracy theories. We have the, well, okay, a multitude of conspiracy theories that are the same. Like it's a man man-made thing. It's a bioweapon. We don't need to wear masks. Um, our neighbors are evil. It's from outsiders. You know. Yeah, basically, you know, people are the same. You know, we have this sister, like Sissy, who at the end, like her sister is dead. And like, she's just like, hmm, lucky her, she kissed the boy and then she died. So yeah, there's that. And like, we don't get any of like the government stuff here. Like, you know, Doris and Rose are very like, put on your mask. There are fines. Quarantine your house. No, you can't go to their house if they're quarantining. So there's a lot there. You know, there's this small community that used to be all about helping each other and now they can't. Yeah. So that's one of the things they were saying that was so weird for people is that usually when there's a crisis, people instinctually come together. Like they'll just gather and help each other. But right now, helping each other is like not doing that. Yeah. And just staying in your house and playing Pokemon. Me. Yeah. Yeah. And the play has like a lot of interesting parts. Like at the end of act one, Beatrice says like, I have become a disease because she's becoming a nurse and she's traveling through these houses and she's bringing the disease everywhere she goes. So there's a lot of stuff there about like germ transmission and also just like life continuing anyways. Like Suna's taking care of all these people dying. Stan's wife and baby dies, but they're still like, they still get married again. And then like Stan dies and Suna's like, well, I just I have to keep digging graves, you know, like yeah. all she wants us to go home. She's from Iceland. She doesn't want to be here. She was sent because they had too many kids. So like... Like her parents had too many kids? Yeah. So they were like, I don't know, go to Saskatchewan. Go to Saskatchewan with your uncle who's the undertaker. Have fun. Okay. That's a normal thing to do. Yeah. So she's stuck in a country where she didn't want to be. Very reminiscent. And throughout the play, I didn't bring it up at any point because it wasn't super relevant, but throughout the play, there's a Ukrainian funeral song that can be heard, which I thought was relevant to right now. Yeah. 
Who's Ukrainian in the play? Well, no one explicitly. It's just like okay. a lot of Saskatchewan was settled by Ukrainian immigrants. So it's kind of just like a thing that's around the town. Sure. Um, and a lot of the families are Ukrainian adjacent kind of thing. So that's also like a weird parallel. Like this was written before 9-11. This was written like before SARS. I was reading this and I, I kept writing notes to myself with like 2020. Like, yeah, this is still the same. Like at one point Beatrice is like, I just want to go back to normal. And I was like, you and me both, girl. So either this writer had a really good grasp of history or just a really good grasp of human nature. Probably both. But yeah, it's a really good play. And if you can get your your hands on a copy of it, I think it's a quick read. Like I read it in like two hours. And it's a funny read and it's a fun read and it's good. Yeah. And I mean, it's a funny book about death and plagues, right? Yeah. When I finished reading it a couple days ago, rereading it, I was telling my partner, I was like, why did I read this? Like, I have a lot of COVID anxiety and war anxiety and conspiracy theorists scare me and just bad times, you know? Yeah. And the more like time went on the past few days, I'm like, I needed to read this again because they went through that in like four weeks and like, we're still here, Uh you know? Like, there is tragedy and there will continue to be tragedy, but humankind is still resilient. Maybe people will forget about this and then they'll be like, yeah, it's it's this other flu that's the thing that's the bad thing. Like, maybe I'll have kids, I don't know, or like nieces or nephews, and I'm going to talk to them about Unity 1918 and they're going to write like, I don't know, Shakutami 2020. Actually, that wouldn't be a bad title. And they're going to talk about COVID and it's going to be a good play. And somebody else is going to be doing like a hologram thing about this play. And they're going to be like, oh, well, we're living through, I don't know, Fluvovid. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's Unity 1918. Um, I have a lot more to say about it, but I think that's sufficient. What do you think? I think that was a good, that was a good weird connection to our current moment in time yeah and thank you for bringing it to us i could have a lot more like comparative analysis but like honestly the world sucks and i wanted to talk about the jokes and i did what i wanted to do with this play and i hope it brought you something I feel like the comparisons are just so obvious that people can make them themselves if they it's want to. It's more like, you know that, that one scene from It's Sunny in Philadelphia or whatever? I do not. Where there's like the board with the yarn and Charlie's like, oh yeah, yeah the meme, that meme, which I'm probably going to use yeah, for- Yeah, the, the yarn board meme, yeah. the conspiracy theory yarn yeah, board meme. Yeah, I'm probably going to be using this for the, the image on the Instagram now. Okay, cool. <laughs> Rad. It's kind of like that, you know, this, this episode felt like that for me. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. So there's the war and there's the flu and there's the people not wearing masks and there's the... Conspiracy theorists. Conspiracy theories. Yeah. So that was fun. Thank you for bringing that to us, Amy. So I didn't have to do any research. Last time we did a war episode, I told a story about me sleep talking and the weird (laughs) random things I say when I'm sleep talking. So now this is another war episode. And would you like to hear another story about me sleep talking? Please do. I was going to open with this, but uh, you beat me to a bunch. So <laughs> so apparently the other night after I took cold medicine, I sat up at about four or five in the morning, like bolt upright, eyes open, pointed at the headboard and said, our friend is back. And my partner, Ethan, was like, what? And I said, our friend, the meerkat. <laughs> no, not a meerkat. A rat? His tail is fluffy. We're waiting for his date. And he said, Chantel, go back to bed. And I said, okay. And I flopped on the pillow and I went back to sleep. 
Except I was already asleep because I don't remember any of this happening. <laughs> I am not surprised from... <laughs> When you have scissors, do you feel like you could just cut into things like my comforter or people? They just have so much danger in them. It's just dangerous. It's da it feels dangerous to hold sharp things. Does it not? Tell me I'm wrong. You're going to look at me and tell me I'm wrong? <laughs> no, you're not. You're not wrong at all. There you go. Well, that was fun. Please give me a rating scale. So I like to do scales of things that are geographically centered. And this play touches from everything from Halifax to being produced in BC. Mm -hmm. So let's say we're reading from left to right. So BC is zero and Halifax is 10. Okay. How would you rate this play? Disagree on the on the rating scale. But uh, okay. <laughs> that means Quebec's like a nine. Mm, disagree. But okay. 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 Let's flip it around. Fine. Fine. Let's flip it around. Now Alberta's a nine. <laughs> oh, we messed up somewhere. Something went wrong somewhere. Okay. I'm going to make up my own rating scale. No. And base it on how good I think the provinces are <laughs> on a scale of Halifax to BC. Okay. Halifax is the nine, by the way. Okay, yeah. Halifax is a city, not a um, province. So on a scale of nine, nine to ten, I would rate this play <laughs> like Manitoba. A Manitoba. Yeah, because like it's good. <laughs> It sounds good. It sounds good. But I've never heard of it before. <laughs> and the only reason I know about it is because of you. And I feel like Manitoba is the one province that everyone forgets exists. Like, you only know about Manitoba if you're literally touching Manitoba. So Ontario and Saskatchewan. And then even then, like, we most of the time forget about Manitoba. That's fair. Like, when <laughs> I think about Western province, I'm like, Saskatchewan, Alberta. Easy. Manitoba's, like, too center. And when you think about the Eastern provinces, you're like... The Maritimes, yeah. Quebec, Ontario. So what's Manitoba? What is it? What is it? Is it the center province? No. No. Ontario is the center province. It's the center of the world. Let's be real. <laughs> Toronto's there for a reason. Um, Weird. I don't disagree. Ontario's the New York of Canada. <laughs> yes. I don't disagree with your rating. Thank you so much. Uh, well, actually, no, I do disagree. What would you rate it on a scale of Halifax to BC? By the way, Halifax, um, for those listening who don't know Canadian geography also, is not a province, <laughs> but... It was the thing mentioned yes. at the province is Nova Scotia. Yes. Um, so on a scale of Nova Scotia to BC, what would you rate this? Probably like a New Brunswick. Hear me out. Okay. No, I'm on board already. Tell me your reasoning. New Brunswick is that like weird maritime province that's still connected to the country fully. And it's weirdly connected to America. And while it brings you joy because it has the Bay of Fundy, pretty cool, it's not necessarily like the first one you think about. So like, I really enjoyed the play. Obviously, I talked about it for an hour or however long this episode is now. So I really loved it, but I wouldn't have known about it if it hadn't been for my weird Canadian lit class during the Great War. I feel like you're just, you're also raiding in a Manitoba though. No, because I do not believe that the prairies exist. Uh, is Manitoba a prairie? Depends on who you ask. Depends on who you ask. Anyway, all jokes aside, Manitoba is experiencing a lot of flooding this spring. Um, so if you have anything to give, the Canadian Red Cross is, I believe, taking donations to help with flood relief or, you know, find an organization that you believe in and uh, help them out where you can. We love all provinces equally. We love all provinces equally. Even PEI. Um, anyway, thank you so much for listening. If you've listened this far, wow, congratulations, <laughs> true fan, true fan badge. Uh, hit us up on our Patreon for a true fan badge. <laughs> no, we don't have a Patreon. Exactly. So if you want to talk to us. God, please do. We are at Unsighted Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We have a lot of fun there. We've got many, many good 
awesome people on there who wear buds with. Yeah, and I make memes on Instagram and sometimes people like them. I put a lot of effort into those guys. I love your memes. Thanks. Somebody does. I may be a biased party, but I think your memes slap. Thanks. Um, I think they're based. God, I hate everyone. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. And as always, we're excited unavailable. So this blind guy gets off the train um, and he falls flat on his face. But basically, he opens the door in influenza. I don't get it. Like he opens the door in influenza. In- What's Enza? Enza's a person. What?